All right, what is up, everyone? Jordan here, hanging out with uh, some friends. I'm going to let them intro themselves in a second, but obviously we're recording these videos, and the whole idea behind this is it's holiday season. Uh, we know that it's been a really difficult year in 2020, and we know that there's a lot of young people out there that are struggling. And so we wanted to have some conversations with some people who are living in the mental health life coaching space uh, on what they're seeing and how some of the tools that they have may help us during the holiday season be more engaged with ourselves and then be more engaged with the people around us, particularly the young people around us. So anyways, as we start this conversation, super excited today to introduce the Lambroses. Hey. So you guys take it away. Tell us who you are and what you do. Ladies first. Oh, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my name is Rachel Ambrose. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor, um, and I own a private practice in Gilbert, um, where I supervise about, um, there's five of us there who do, I focus mostly on trauma, um, anxiety, depression, different things like that. And so we range all the way from kiddos up to adults and couples and different things like that, just dealing with mental health issues. So. Did you have like an 80-year-old at one point? Uh, yeah, I think my youngest has been five, and then my oldest has been 84. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, yes, wide, wide range of people who need support. So yeah, been doing that for about five years now in total. So. I'm Ryan. That's awesome. Uh, I'm a professional life coach and I host my own podcast called Redefine, uh, just helping people redefine everything in life um, to help understand it better. I was a youth pastor for about 11 years and yeah, my heart is just for um, people to find uh, life and to be able to live life to the fullest. So, yeah. That's dope. I'm super excited to have you guys on. Thank you for uh, being willing to spend a little time with me and with the people that are going to be watching and listening to the content. Uh, and so let's dive in. Uh, first question for you guys. Uh, what are you seeing with uh, depression, anxiety, and suicide with young people right now? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you're doing this topic because it really is something that's so prevalent this year, um, especially with everything with the quarantine. So change is hard, I think, for anybody. But I was talking to, I see several different teenagers, um, like preteen age even. And this is really the first trauma, if you will, that a lot of them have been through in the sense of like nationally, you know what I mean? Mm. Like you think of 11 or you think of different things. And that's just been so much that has been going on lately on a bigger scale. Obviously we each go through things individually, but a lot of them, like they were really afraid. I've seen a ton of anxiety with just like not even realizing like the threats that are out there to all of us. There's like, like, I see a lot of teens with a lot of anxiety, like socially or, you know, emotionally, um, identity development type stuff, but this was different. They're like, oh my gosh, like, like death could come. Like those types of mm. things have been really prevalent or afraid of losing someone that they care about or their, their way of life, like having to stay home. Yeah. Um, so where I've seen a lot of it, at least just this past year, has mostly been in relationships and in attachment. You know, the anxiety of being away from support, like with their friendships or their teachers or different things at school. Um, and then anxiety with, with just what's gonna happen, the unknown and all the change that's happening socially, culturally, politically, you name it. You know, there's a lot of change that's happening there. Um, depression, I think a lot of loneliness a lot of loneliness, um, a lot of disconnect. Um, and so like suicide, as far as that goes, I was just talking to Ryan, I've had 
three teens over the last like couple weeks go inpatient for suicidal, you know, thoughts and a couple who actually even attempted um, from other coworkers in my office. So it's really, really high, um, devastatingly so to the point where like they don't have space in some of the behavioral health hospitals. Like I had to call five different places and somebody's like, yeah, there's a bed here, but you got to get here before somebody else does. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's that bad right now. So yeah, the rates are pretty high um, as far as like how all of this is impacting or weighing on all of the young people. Mm. Like right now, are you seeing similar, like with the kiddos that you're engaging with? Yeah, I think, I think this time, I mean, I think as a, as a leader and as, or a pastor or somebody who interacts with teenagers or young adults, it's always in the back of our mind of, you know, yeah, I, I think teenagers struggle with depression or anxiety or have suicidal ideology and, you know, or there's a, they're the, they're the few. Um, and I think it's just 2020 has kind of woken everybody up to go, no, it's not a select few. It's actually a majority. Yeah, um, right. And, and almost it making people face the fact and the realization of, no, I think actually it, living as a teenager in 2020, um, it's almost a given that they have struggle with anxiety, um, have a type of depression, um, or be depressed about something might not necessarily be, um, you know, uh, diagnosed with, with depression. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a different thing. Yeah. But, um, with the publicity of social media mm-hmm. and outlet for, I mean, everything is a Google search away. Mm-hmm. Suicidal ideology has now become extremely prevalent yeah. it, it, when when a kid in texas takes his life on you know and films it live or something along those lines everybody can see it and yeah. it, those thoughts sit in in people's minds and so um I, I think it's starting to wake people up to go this is not yeah um an outlier it is a reality for for most teenagers yeah no i heard on the news the other day there's an eight-year-old that, that died of suicide eight, wow. eight years old yeah it's so it's it's really um it's and and I've even noticed I had several students tell me over the last couple months they do like a lot of suicide awareness now in schools because of mm. that reason but even that can be super triggering right because if students have yeah. had suicidal thoughts and maybe they're really afraid of those or they're trying to move away from them or they don't want anybody mm-hmm. to know it brings it up you know so a lot of them have I've had students have panic attacks just from watching that or knowing a friend and then I have just as many students if they themselves haven't had suicidal thoughts they have a lot of trauma from a friend who had because they get yeah. into caretaker roles um, and these loyalty roles of like I have to save my friend um, you know, they, they'll be up. I have several students who, when they come to see me, they're like, oh, I've been up every morning till 3 a.m. talking to my friend because I thought they were going to kill themselves. And I was like, oh my God. And, and then they feel very guilty um, asking for support from an adult because then they get mad at each other because they're like, how could you tell someone? Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much that comes with that because it's a very vulnerable topic. It's not um, something that a lot of people are comfortable talking about. And I do appreciate the fact that social media um, or the access to information has brought a lot of awareness and brought a lot of comfortability. Um, but it's also a lot of misinformation sometimes, right? Like so much information, this, this generation has more input than any other generation. And so there's a lot of room for you know, I had a student the other day tell me, well, I watched this TikTok video and I have depression and that's just the way my brain's wired and that's how I'll always be. 
And I was like, oh no, like that's not true. Like, you, you know, and even understanding that, like Ryan mentioned, not everything is clinical. Like you can go through yep. grief and sadness mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean you're clinically depressed. You can go through nervousness or fear and that doesn't mean you have anxiety, you know? And so mm-hmm. um, a lot of, just a lot of misinformation out there that it makes me sad because then sometimes the support isn't thought because oh, I'll just look that up. You know, parents like, oh, I'll just buy you a book on tools to work through your depression. It's like, they need more. There's relationship that's needed in that. So that's mm. kind of what at least I'm noticing on my end. That's good. Yeah. So for us, you know, lay people, should I say it that way? Us normal peeps, even though I'm in school studying. Yeah. yeah. Professionals, you know, help us. So you mentioned attachment and I know mm-hmm. that's a theory, right? And it's a, it's a theory that kind of anchors and in, in finds itself in a lot of other theories that have developed like yeah. it, like in the future of psychology, but if you were going to explain what attachment is like super simply to somebody so they could kind of get an idea of what you mean, yeah. like what, what would you say that is? Um, yeah. So I would say attachment, like relationally, it, it's how we relate to one another or find safety within. And I, I like reference attachment in three different ways. So there's like up attachment, in attachment, and out. And so we need to be attached with higher sense of self, higher power, whatever that is, like something outside of yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, and outside of what, what is here, like a bigger sense of purpose, a higher power, if you're, you know what I mean, if you're spiritual, um, that level of attachment, which just means an attunement or a connection of finding a reflection in myself um, to connect with that. And then same thing in here, I need to attach to myself. Am I being honest with myself? And do I know who I am? And, and can I connect to that and, um, and honor the space within myself, you know, that kind of attachment and then attachment with others. Right. And so, um, that's one of the things that I've noticed, particularly with young people that is missing right now. A lot of them feel connected, all the time, right? They're constantly on their social media or connected, but that's not full attachment. And a lot of them don't know how to be without that either. I have, I have teens who their anxiety is literally because they have panic attacks if they can't have their phone and someone's not talking to them. They didn't get enough likes or they didn't get enough interaction with someone else um, because they don't know how to be with themselves, right? They don't know how to be alone and stay attached within themselves. Um, and, and if they're not reflected in someone else, it's all over, right? And so I think the authenticity of attachment isn't just, um, oh, hey, there you are. It's, it's being attuned to, right? It's, it's you really seeing me and attuning. And that's what's so important. Like when I talk about parent-child relationships, mm. so important, right? Like we really truly only need three things to be resilient to trauma. And trauma can be anything. That's not just like the big T traumas of, you know, the very overt traumas, but like anything like being bullied, um, you know, failing a test, like all of these houses, moving houses. Yeah. Like a dog passing away, you name it. Like the things that when people hear trauma, they think, oh no, it's just these big. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. go through every single day, waking up in, in your current circumstances can be traumatic. Um, and so we need three things to heal from that really truly to make it through that to, to survive. We need someone to attach and attune to us, right? To really see us. And that's why you see like a lot of movies made where that coach, you know, it's the one who got them through because they attend to them. I see you, I'm with you, I'm watching you and I can, I can really sense into you. Um, we need somebody to hold space for our emotions, right? To validate them. Like, yeah, I can see you're angry. That's okay that you're angry or you're sad. I get that. Like, that's okay. You know, I'm kind of attached to that in the tune. And then to re-narrate our story in that moment, right? And so a lot of times kids 
um, or teens will start to pick up narratives about themselves or about the world that until their brain is fully formulated, they really don't have enough resources, excuse me, to pull from and, and really use. And so they, they start to build narratives that just aren't really based in truth. So mm. five-year-old spills a cup of milk and they get yelled at and, and they leave that situation feeling like I'm a bad kid. I'm a bad, right. And it's like, all of us are like, no, that was an accident. You know, like even the parent who got upset and yelled might've thought, well, we know it's an accident, but that child may have interpreted it. I'm bad. I got yelled at and I'm bad. And they leave that experience starting to deepen the root of that belief structure. And so we really need somebody to come alongside of us when something happens. It's overwhelming. They have to attune to us, hold space for our emotions, and then tell us truth in that moment in case we've picked up any negative narrative in that, you know? And so um, a lot of us aren't getting that right now, especially our young kids, right? Like, because that mm. age range kind of isolates anyway. So they're not being attuned to, and if they are being attuned to, it might not be from caring, supportive adults, right? And that might not even be the adult's fault. It might be the child thinks you don't need it. And so I think that, you know, speaks to, you know, just what we need within attachment, in other words, right? Like being seen and attuned to. Do you have anything to add to that? I know you're studying attachment. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think the helping teenagers distinguish the difference between being connected and being attached. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, I mean, there's crossover. It's like a Venn mm -hmm. circle crossover, but it's not, you know, full connection isn't full attachment. Mm -hmm. um, so that, I think that's huge um, because I think what kids are feeling now in quarantine, in isolation, staying at home during school, not hanging out in social groups is... I don't think they feel a loss of connection, although they verbally communicate that because that's the only verbiage they have. Yeah. But their, their, their connection has not changed because they're on social right. media, they're, they're digitally connected, they even can call each other. What's happening is they're detaching. Yeah. Um, and it's not their fault most times, it's the circumstances, it's quarantine, it's COVID. It has detached them mm -hmm. from whatever relationships it is, or it's made them face that detachment of themselves, they are now able to look at themselves for the first time. And it's like, Ooh, I don't like that. And so right. they detach from themselves. It's made them question their higher power, the divine God, where is God in this? So they detach from that. And then, I mean, within a church setting, within a, even athletics being canceled, their coach connection. I don't have my teacher. I don't have my coach. I don't have my leader. And now, so all three of those things have been detached. And mm -hmm. they can feel connected, but then they go, why do I feel so horrible? Why am I so anxious? Well, and not attached. That's important too. I, I think this actually kind of ties in with all of the questions you mentioned, Jordan, because I think it's really important to recognize. So like neuro, neuroscience like talks about like neuroception is this idea of finding like, how do I know I'm safe in attachment with someone? So my five sense perception, who I am senses my surroundings and I am either safe or unsafe based on that, which kind of speaks to the anxiety, right? And so um, if I look at you and you're making eye contact, you have a warm smile, you're nodding and agreeing with me, right? Like I start to sense into that and I calm down. Something inside of me settles and says like, Jordan's hearing me, we're resonating with each other, we're connecting and attaching. like. Like we're on the same page, this feels safe. 
if you all of a sudden get like this when I'm talking, I'm going to see that and I'm going to pick up on that and say, oh, what, what, what did I do? I might start getting anxious. I might start looking around like what's happening. Right. And so we read one another's body language and nonverbal cues over 90% of communication between people is nonverbal, right? There's so much happening that we don't realize. And so the hard part about COVID with distancing, even with masks, if you're missing a lot of the neuroception that is needed to feel attuned to, right? Like, mm. like if you can't see my, my facial expressions, you don't know mm -hmm. if I'm smiling, yeah. if I'm scared, if I'm, mm -hmm. and so I've noticed a lot of my clients will even tell me, um, especially my trauma ones with sensitive nervous systems, going shopping at the grocery store, oh. they leave like, like so tense and they're like, I don't know what it is. It's like, they can't read people. We can't read one another. I can't see you. And it's almost like this dissociative I'm floating as I'm going through. And these aren't people. They're just walking things, you know? And so we miss one another. And it's that same feeling. I think it's interesting. The masks I think have done for us kind of recognizing what, and I, I know we harp on teens for social media, but adults do. Like there's this false sense of connection. When I am watching someone um, on social media and I will tell myself like, oh yeah, I know that person. No, you don't. Like I haven't seen them and interacted with them, but there's this false sense of like, I know them, they know me. Um, but it doesn't meet some kind of internal need of attachment or connection. We have to be attuned. It's not just, hey, how are you? It's, mm -hmm. hey, how are you? Right? It's different. There's two totally different types of attachment there. And that's really important when we talk about mental health, but because that's a really important piece. That's why therapy is helpful because someone sits and attunes to you right but you can have that in lots of other relationships yeah i mean it one of the most used phrases that describes jesus's interaction with people is he sees them yeah. there's i don't think necessarily the ancient writers of these gospel narratives <laughs> knew the psychological neuroceptive <laughs> power of that sure um is. but um but in order for Jesus to attach to people, uh, to create full loving attachment, he thought had to see them and they had to be seen by him. Right. Um, so that's a huge, right. a huge thing. And when you go into a constant long period state of detachment or non-attachment, you immediately go inward to shame, fear, um, intimidation and anxiety is fearing or projecting that shame into the future and and what does that look like and depress depressive thoughts depression is projecting or remembering or allowing the past to impact that shame or living in that past to impact that shame correct me if i'm wrong um oh, i mean so the aspects of it she's a professional <laughs> um but like that that heightens when we go long periods of time without detaching or with, without attaching to somebody going, no, Hey, like, I see you, like, you're okay. I love you. What happened does not, you know, you're not a bad person because that happened or, Hey, why are you worrying so much about what's happening in the future? Like you're okay right now. I love you. Let's talk. Um, yeah. I think that's what's contributing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. All right, so let me ask another question. I think I'm going to roll this question into one. Um, so what signs should adults be paying attention to during the holidays um, in terms of mental health for young people in their lives? And then also, um, 
where does that cross over to emergency or professional help being needed? Because yeah. I think sometimes, you know, people, like you said earlier, just give them a book. Uh, mm -hmm. Just, you know, hey, just sit with them for a day or, okay, you know, whatever. Know. Yeah, yeah, have have the have their uncle come over who is a professional, right? You know what I mean? And so what should we lo be looking out for? And also, right. when does that cross over? Like, hey, if you're seeing these things, you need to do something. Yeah, do quick. yeah. And I think that that kind of was prepped with the with the answer we just gave. The hard part is I get so many parents who are like, uh, like fix them. And I'm like, oh, this is so late. Like, you know what I mean? This is like too little, too late type of a thing where mm. you should be doing this stuff ahead of time. Don't wait until your kid is so desperate that they are reaching to suicidal thoughts or to, you know what I mean? Like the attachment and the attunement is needed now. If you're like, Hey, my kid's fine. Everything's good. I think they're coping great with, with, you know, everything that's going on right now. Awesome. How attuned are you to them? Have you checked in with them? Are you connecting with them? Are you like, ask those questions. And I feel like a lot of parents like just check the box of like, Hey, you're fine. Everything's fine. We've all got a lot going on and they'll refocus somewhere else. And, and they, we need that for preventative, right? Not just mm -hmm. for, okay, fine, fine. I'll spend more time with you. I'll fine, fine. I'll pay more attention. Fine. I'll listen to you. You've been asking for help. Okay, fine. Right. It's kind of too late at that point because now you're doing, I'm just digging you out of the hole, but something's got to keep you floating. So I would say, um, sign wise, that's really hard to tell. Um, mm. I would say the, the number one thing you can do is you need to attach to your kid, like, <clears throat> because it's not always the same signs, right? Like not every kid is the same. And so you need to know your kid and you need to know when something's off. Um, you can, you can kind of tell, um, when a parent is attuned, when they come in and they are like, yeah, there's just these little things. I noticed there's a little different here. She, she's kind of, you know, not, not, and, you know, and I'm like, oh, you notice you're picking up on that. Not kind of like a parent who comes in and they'll tell me like, I don't know, they seemed fine yesterday. And now they're just like suicidal. And I'm like, nah, that was building. And nobody just wakes up one day and all of a sudden goes from zero to 60. Right. And so, um, just a level of attunement, I would say. And so signs would be like major shift in, in things that they enjoy. So anxiety is really, um, you know, clinically we look for things like, <clears throat> I am so sorry. Um, we look for things like racing heart, um, like hyperventilation, racing thoughts, um, avoidance of going places, you know, or doing things like that. Um, a lack of focus, jitteriness, just a lot of like tension. We're looking for that for anxiety. For depression, I'm looking for um, lack of motivation, which that's hard um, in the teen years. Like, you know, the lack of motivation, no interest in things that they used to enjoy, um, like not wanting to sleep all the time, reduced appetite, you know what I mean? Um, lots of sadness or guilt, lots of shaming, you know, just, just unable to kind of you know, we talk about window of tolerance, like down mm -hmm. here is kind of the depressive shutdown, up here is the anxiety. And so I would say, look for signs that are outside the normal range of your child, right? If your kid's normally kind of happy-go-lucky and they're kind of super closed off now, they're not really sharing much, it might be a sign to check in with them, right? That doesn't always mean something's wrong. It might just be something happened and they need help walking through something, but um, changes, changes in their pattern of personality or normalcy. Um, within range because high school or junior high, like that's prime time for identity, you know, shifts. But I would say um, signs, um, if, you know, you, it, it's just so hard. That's really, really hard to ask. You know what I mean? Suicidally, um, 
That's why I have a lot of teens, for example, where they'll always be wearing long sleeves if they're cutters, for example, like if always wearing long sleeves and it's like a million degrees out, I'll have parents say that like, she's kind of weird. She's always wearing sweaters and it's like 110. Have you asked her about that? Have you, you know what I mean? Like, it's usually mm -hmm. like there's a sense of hiding. Um, and so I, I would look for any signs of like self-harm, obviously, or look for signs of shifting in personality. Um, but again, eating habits, eating habits, sleeping habits, right? Um, just different, even like the way that they, they shift in dress, for example, like can, can be indicators, but can also not, right? Like that's super hard. So I would say the level of attunement, I can tell. Um, but I read people for a living, but when you meet with somebody, you can tell this, like when you've met with a student before and you can just see it on them, like they're heavy or, or they're nervous or they're tense, right? You can see it. And so I think like the most important thing that you can do as far as signs go is attune to your kid, know what, what's their normal range and, and see, you know, kind of what helps or makes it worse, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Kind of a thing. So, but suicidal thoughts is, is definitely a big one. They never want to go out anymore, social patterns, you know, different things like that. I'd say um, presence is is the is is powerful, um, and it there's hundreds of different signs, um, and and it's and like she said, it's hard. But what I was I wrote this down like for parents specifically, don't beat yourself up so much on trying to find the signs. Like, don't know mm -hmm. the signs, know your kid. Right. Yeah. Like we know this in, within marriage. Um, Jess knows if something's off with me, even if I, cause I'm really good at faking it, of uh, everything's fine. And, and, and it's, but she can to the point, know the energy is off. Right. I, I, I can just walk into your office, Ryan, and I know something's up. And then so she, Hey, what's up? something's off and it right. there was no behavior i mean there's no signs but because she is so attuned to she's present relationship like she will be able to sense that and i think parents we often have we lose that with our kids because yeah. of the busyness because of whatever so like especially during the holiday season that we get so busy and distracted yeah the presents go <laughs> presents not gifts mm -hmm. um but presents go away <laughs> Um, and so, so don't know the signs, know your kid. Right. Um, and then I would say something that can help draw the signs out is lead with vulnerability yeah. as a parent. Are you being real during this holiday time? Parents, adults, leaders, we have our trauma right. that comes up during holiday season because we're expected, you know, the, the reason for the season is everything's great. This is amazing right. and it's fun and it's family and the trauma comes up for us. Right. So are we sharing that with our kids, especially with That's teenagers? You create yeah. the environment for them to attach, yeah. to go, I'm not feeling okay. Right. Um, the greatest thing a parent can do is sit down and go, hey, I just want to share this with you. I'm really struggling with this holiday season. It reminds me of my mom and, I, and my relationship with her or, um, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> COVID, Christmas during COVID. I'm freaking out about it. I hate this. I don't know. Our holiday traditions are blowing out the window. Like it, this sucks. I hate this. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of depressed about it. And I really don't like that. And as soon as a kid sees that their parent struggles with that, now the kid goes the freedom to speak. Can, can I share something like, right. and it might not even have anything to do with the holidays. Right. It might just be, you know, right. 
So, so yeah, and I think another sign could be watching for narrative, watching for what, how they talk about themselves, how they talk about others, you know what I mean? Type of a thing. If you hear your kid being like, well, nobody, uh, why, why oh, are you going to go to that thing? No, I, I never get invited anywhere. Some parents are like, oh, okay. I'm like, they're attention. Yeah attention to any shaming narratives, anything that they're, you know what I mean? Like any, anything that you can see where their, their, their speech has changed as far as how they're viewing themselves or how they're viewing others. Um, and then I would say as far as connecting with them, that's really important because they talk about like with teenagers side by side, right? So like in the car, not directly like sit down at the dinner table, mom and dad, look at me in the eyes. How are you in your life? It's going to be like an interrogation. So you're going to have to be sly about how you connect with your teenager because they don't like as much of that direct, because there's a lot of like fear of like, am I in trouble? What did I do? Are you going to be mad? Is the feeling going to be acceptable? The vulnerability invites in a lot of safety, but also doing it in a non overwhelming way, right? Like just constant chickens because they can tell when I have a lot of teens who tell me they get almost bitter that mom and dad didn't care for x amount of you know uh, this amount of time but now all of a sudden my behaviors changed or my attitudes changed and now they want to know everything and it's almost like 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 a bitterness and a closed offness and so Mm. if you're doing that consistently um it's not you know it's not manipulative in that way or your kids don't feel that because they're quite intelligent that way openness in order to get something or get a response is not vulnerability it's manipulation yeah so like be vulnerable Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable if your kid goes goes, yeah dad i'm really sorry that you're going through that or even doesn't respond you're not sharing to get a response you're sharing to be real you're you're modeling good behavior yeah Yeah. and then as, as far as like the emergency signs like you said Um, so I would say if your kid at all, at any point in time has ever asked you to get them help in any way, I have a lot of parents who are like, oh yeah, they asked for counseling forever ago, but it's just like, it's expensive or I don't want to go. And I'm like, like, you know, if your kid comes to you and talks to you about cutting, if your kid comes to you, I was like, you don't understand how rare that is. Um, so I have a lot of parents who are like, oh my gosh, they came to me and told me. And I was like, you need to pause and thank yourself for that gift that your child feels safe enough to come to you and be honest. Um, so I would say self-harm behaviors, uh, you know, and that can be anything from cutting, burning to even like, um, like just being risky or impulsive, like, you know, they're, they're, they're just reckless, um, or they don't care for themselves that way. I would look for signs of like, Hey, you're not showering. You're not eating. You're not sleeping. Um, you, you don't seem to ever hang out with friends. Um, you're, you have a hard time even connecting with people in person. I have a lot of parents who are like, they just seem like a zombie. They don't connect with anybody. Like, so those types of things. But I would say emergency help is safe for the moments. If your child even jokes passive aggressively about like dying, I've had a, a, a bunch of parents be like, I thought they were kidding. They'd be like, oh, I'm just gonna kill myself right now. Or they'll say it when they're in a fight. Like I have a lot of parents who will tell me that their kids are like, oh, you just want me to die, don't you? You know, and and they never thought anything of it. But really that's, that's really something that that child or, or teenager is probably considering at that moment. And it's almost mm. like a test or a check-in. So if your child has mentioned anything about harming themselves, not wanting to be here, wishing life would stop, anything like that, um, you need to call. And that doesn't always mean, like I tell parents, just because like someone's cutting, for example, like a teen is cutting, that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to die. Um, that It could just be a way of relieving pain um, or waking themselves up to feel something. And so it, that doesn't always mean like rush into the ER. It just depends on the severity level, but it does mean call a professional like now. You know what I mean? And get, get that input. And that's why we do those assessments to see how serious is this. So 
Um, I would say emergency signs look like anything like that. If, if you have access to the social media, look at it. They will post. I have a lot of them. I think the three or four that I have heard of recently, and I actually have a family who their son did film it and, and committed suicide. You know what I mean? So it is, wow. um, social media is a good indicator. Know your kid's friends welcome them in, you know what I mean? Have a relationship mm -hmm. with them to the point where they feel safe and comfortable if, if they know their friend's struggling, that they can come to you too, you know what I mean? So that that's always, that's good. you know, good too. I'd say too, uh, I mean, so I think the generation before me, so my parents, it was any type of that behavior, it was immediately deemed, they're just trying to get attention. Mm -hmm. And I still hear it with parents, they're doing this and they're just, it's attention-seeking behavior. Um, and it's like, if I can encourage parents and leaders, yes, it is attention seeking behavior. And there's a reason why they're trying to get attention. Um, and, and it might not be as drastic as they want to take their life. Right. Um, but it's serious enough that they are doing something disruptive to get attention. That means they don't know it's not safe to just straight up say what they want. Right. Um, or they don't, you know, yeah. there's lots of stuff and, and attention seeking behavior isn't, it's how we go about it. That can be unhealthy. Not the fact that we want attention right, and care, right? right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a child or a teen with a lot of attention seeking behavior, you best pay attention, yeah. right? How, yeah. we, how we reinforce that or how we go about, um, feeding into that is really important. But the fact that they're, they're reaching like that, um, that tells you they had to go to that level of desperation, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to a kid get it consistently cries wolf he's not just a he or she's not just a liar he or she's not just he's they're consistently crying wolf for a reason there's something, there's going something there. else yeah. going on there and so um and and it's parents we won't be able to figure that out on our own just out of our own logic and reasoning find a counseling practice or a counselor and call them. They'll give you a consultation, yeah. say, this is just what's gone on. What do you think? Yeah. And a good counselor is not going to manipulate you. Well, why don't we do four sessions to just you know, like they're going to help you and go, it could be this. It could be this. Maybe come in for one free consultation or one thing and just let's talk with them or that they're willing to work yeah. with you. But so often parents are, it's attention seeking behavior and I'll figure it out. And they leave it at that. And, and then it's too late. Right. Then they are finally calling the counselor after the fact or, and it's, right. and now, and now there's a bitterness and now there's a teenager. It's more of like, now my parents are in a sense tattling on me. Now they're, they're not helping me. Sure. They're just trying to fix me. And, and you've lost, some relational attachment right with your kid yeah I think I think it's it's really just important to watch those signs of when they're reaching right when they're when they're trying even if it's like with friends like if you have I have a lot of teen girls with a lot of insecurities and so attention seeking behaviors with the way they dress or the people that they want to spend time with or you know different things like that like keep an eye on that. That's not like, oh no, they're bad and I need to fix that. What's behind that? Like, there's always something underneath, like what's motivating that? What's going on inside? You know what I mean? And so connecting with, so I would say the emergency stuff is more so, um, I have another one who distressing images, her mom found like she's an artist and she found really dark images that she was drawing. And that's how she kind of discovered like, hey, are those mm -hmm. images in your mind? And she's like, yeah, I've had thoughts of doing that to myself, right? And so wow. there's lots of different ways, but if you're not attuning to your kid, it's not even fair game because you won't even know what to look for, you know? 
Mm. Yeah. Attention seeking behavior, these signs all correct me if I'm wrong, mostly or all mm. come out of they don't feel safe in some capacity. Um that could be part of it. You know, like it's yeah. it's that it's some lack of attachment. And so when they are trying to get the attention, it's a bid for an attachment. They might not see it that way, yeah. but that's our body. It's our mind naturally saying like, we're not knowing how to get their needs. Yet, yeah. Right. Like, I don't know how to ask for help. And so I'm just going to be really loud. You know what I mean? Like loud being, I'm going to try and create some kind of like bang, 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 look over here kind of a thing. Um, instead of just calmly coming and saying, I need help right now. I'm struggling. Right. Like a two-year-old who's hungry. You can't communicate that they're yeah, hungry. They just starts crying or gets fussy. Well, yeah. they're not being a bad kid. No. They're saying I have a need and I don't know how to communicate it. A 14 year old is doing the same. They're not going to, I mean, I don't think they will, but some maybe they will, but they don't just sit screaming and crying and, you know, pounding at the, at the whatever, some of them, you know, but their, their way of doing that is. Yeah. There's lots of different ways. Some of us seek, seek attention through achievement. Some of us seek attention through, um, you know, everybody picks a thing and I feel like that, you know, I'm the smart kid. I'm the, I'm the pretty one. I'm the, you know, jock, I'm the, whatever, everybody's looking for that. And sometimes when those things get taken away, that that's another thing I would look for. Watch for trauma. If your if your child had a very serious, deep relationship with someone and they broke up, keep an eye on that. Right. Like, like watching for things that are disruptions. If your child, like they live and breathe high school sports and that's everything to them and they aren't getting to go. Are you checking in with them about that? What are you noticing? Because that's a huge part of who they are or what they believe they find themselves in. And so um, you got to ask those questions or kind of be aware of like anticipate some of those things and how they're going to impact your kids. So. That's really good. So last question for you guys. Um, and you've kind of mentioned this, but I just want to leave at the end with a little bit of clarity on this. What, what questions should people be asking their teenagers throughout the holidays? like good engaging questions they can ask to kind of maybe get at some of this stuff. Sure. And are there any tools or skills? I know you've mentioned a ton, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the questions are going to be hard um, coming at them head on. Like, so have you ever been suicidal? <laughs> yeah. Probably. You're probably <laughs> not going to get, Oh yes, I have. And I am right now. Um, you're going to need to, to notice signs. So I would say, bringing observations and being curious, right? Curiosity is the most non-threatening thing, not, hey, I've noticed that you're doing this and I think it's because you're this, right? Like, no, that's that's assumptions, that's, you know, judgment on. Um, ask a question that's curious. Like, I'm just curious, I've noticed, like, you kind of have been spending a lot of time in your room. Like, tell me about that. Don't assume it's bad. Don't assume they're up to something. Ask a curious question, right? Like that type of curiosity is non-threatening and invites in, you know, some, some more safety in that conversation. So I would, I would just be curious about whatever it is that you're noticing. Like I've noticed you haven't been hanging out as much with your friends. Like is everything going well there or, you know, and, and they may, they may give you a, it's fine. You know, if you have a teen who has several of these parents are like, well, they just say everything's fine, fine, fine. And I'm like, again, too little, too late. That tells me they've disconnected so long ago that you're not going to have to do a ton of work to become safe and trustworthy again for that child to open up to you. Right. Like, and so, um, if you haven't reached that point, your child does talk to you, um, kind of gentle, just checking in and noticing and kind of just asking like rabbit trail questions into a deeper sense of like, mm -hmm. Oh, so, so you haven't been hanging out with your friends. Oh, you guys fought in a fight. Oh, that must've been really hard. You're feeling, are you feeling lonely? Like, are you struggling with that? You know, like kind of just deepening it. And if you start to hear things like, yeah, it's the worst. Um, I don't even want to be friends with anyone anymore. Like, 
okay, like asking, do you want, do you want me to get you some support for that? Is there anything I can do to help with that? Right? Like sometimes all of us just need somebody to hold us or give us a hug or hear us out. Like, you know what I mean? Just somebody to connect to others of us that'll open up Pandora's box. There will be tears. There will be anger. There will be all kinds of like, yeah, I'm not okay. Um, and so I, even again, like vulnerability or sometimes parents will bring it up like, Hey, I, I saw on the news, um, a lot of teenagers have had suicidal thoughts, like, you know, and that, that just broke my heart and I cared so much for you. And I just want you to know if you were ever struggling with that, you could let me know, you know, something like that, where it's almost like you don't even have to ask the question, but more so just let the, the child know that you're there, that you can be, you know, a, a safe place for them to share with. Um, so that's part of it. I would say tools wise, um, Again, that's super specific. There's there's tons of information out there um, for like grounding. If, you're, if your child has anxiety, they need to ground. They need to come down in that window of tolerance. And so that could be everything from breathing techniques to, to practicing calming body down. There's lots of supplements or like even just different like natural ways of helping like resource anxiety. Um, it can also be, you know, something that they just need help with or fix, right? And so like, that's lots of tools of connecting with like anxiety comes down. So you can look up grounding tools or something or mindfulness tools around like anxiety. Um, depression. Look on TikTok with your kid. <laughs> Literally there's, there's, there's like mindfulness yeah. TikTok accounts that right. will walk you through breathing exercises. So you're connecting right. at your kid level in something that in an arena that they love right. and you're doing it with them. So. Sure. I mean, there's a million different things you can do for anxiety, right? Like there's so many tools and that's, again, I love that there's so much information out there. So if it's minor, if it's like, Hey, my kids, you know, got some, some anxiety, but it, they don't necessarily need to see somebody. Oh Lord, there's so much information. You know I mean? There are so many books out there. There are so many podcasts. There are so many YouTube videos, like, you know what I mean? So again, I would just make sure it's, if you have the option to pick a professional, pick a professional, right? Like, so like a lot of the TikTok videos, they're great, but they're just people who are like, Hey, this has worked for me. And that's awesome. But again, I don't want misinformation because I've seen some stuff go bad. So somebody has been trained in that who wrote a book about it or who wrote a blog or a podcast mm -hmm. might be a little more in line with that. And then depression um, usually is more so coming awake, but I have noticed, and this is just like, especially with trauma, if I have a client who is shut down or depressive or really low, um, I know that 99% of the time, if I get them up in that window of tolerance, let's say I kind of wake them up, take off the covers, like, come on, we got to get back up here. They're going to have some level of anxiety, irritability, something that was going on that was so overwhelming that they had to shut down and they felt so hopeless to overcome. Right. And so if it's grief, for example, let's say I'm, I'm super now depressed that, you know, somebody's gone and I, I'm just numb. I don't want to feel anything anymore. If somebody works to get me out of that depression now maybe i'm going to deal with the anxiety of them not being here the anger mm -hmm. so it's kind of almost like i'd rather catch somebody on the uppers i'd rather catch an anxious irritable overwhelmed client before i'd rather catch a depressive because if, if there's depression oftentimes something else was going on that led to that kind of collapse mm -hmm. at least with trauma patterning for sure um and so it's almost like i know i've got double the work to do because every single time it's like oh i'm awake i feel things now it's overwhelming and I want to go back down again, you know? And so I would say um, like things for depression that help with that is again, engagement, right? Attachment, attunement, change of scenery, right? If you're in bed all the time and you never get, get up, go outside, right? Like try and do something that you enjoy, spend time with someone that you care about, um, you know, kind of 
bring yourself awake a little bit. So we want to mm. like activate you with depression and we want to calm you with anxiety. So it's like both are ending kind of in this middle kind of calmer grounded place, if you will. And yeah. I'd say for parents, um, it's never the wrong time to be present. Yeah. So mm. if, if, you know, if it is too late, you haven't been present with no, your kid, sitting them down and being like, do you have suicidal thoughts or like, like you said, like, and they're like, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's too late. Well, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's not too late for you to be present, but it means but presence is going to have to start with square one. Right. So maybe it's you, you, you sacrifice a day and you go and you pull your kid out of school and you just go have some fun. And it's not, you're not having really intense conversation about what are you doing and what's going on? but you're taking the step to go, I need to be present with my kid. Um, and maybe it's, we haven't had dinner as a family yeah. in a long time. So tonight we're just gonna have dinner and there's no agenda. There's no serious talk. Yeah. We're just gonna, we're gonna have dinner together. You know, it's never the wrong time to be present, to start being present with your kid. Yeah. Um, because I think parents might hear this and go, oh my gosh, now I have to have these conversations. Like, how are you? I saw in the, you know, there are, if you have that relationship with your kid, if you've been present, you can have those. Sadly, I think a majority of, of majority. familial, a handful. Yeah. Um, I mean, if 50% of families are in a split home because of divorce, like that, it's hard to be present with your kid. Um, and so it's never the wrong time to just start. You it doesn't have, have to, to be, be patient though yeah. with understanding yeah. that you might, that might take time to build the trust where that child right. can be vulnerable or right. safe enough to share things with you. And, and some parents get mad at that. Like, tell me now, tell me now. And they're like, yeah. mm, no, you spent an me. hour at the coffee shop and they didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. Well, was that, the first time, you. was that the first you time that you hung out with your kid for an hour? Like right. interrupted? That's right. probably why. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, not, it's not shaming to you. It's baby steps. It's you build on that. Mm -hmm. Hey, this time they didn't share anything. Okay. Maybe do that consistently. Maybe on the fourth time, they might drop something. Right. And then, and you're aware of that right. and you're, you know, so. Yeah. Cause I think it is. And, and a lot of parents get frustrated because I'll tell their child the exact same thing they've been telling them. And they're just like, Oh, but magically you say it. And I'm like, it's a different relationship. There's a lot that comes with the, you know what I mean? Like different relationships and authority with, you know what I mean? Authority with teachers or pastors or, you know, um, parents, versus like a more different kind of relationship in therapy. So it's, it's just different, mm -hmm. but I would say, I would say very much so tools. Um, it could be like truly just listening to your kid, let them express themselves, let them, let them be, because a lot of them feel they're unacceptable. And I think that's where a lot of mental health comes from is they feel like they're not approved of or they're not acceptable to their parents or to their teachers or to their, you know, friends. And, and so hear them out, ask them to explain who they are and, and be open-minded to that. Right. Like mm. we I have a parenting coach in, um, in our office, that's her specialty. And she, she said something today or the other day that I was very shocked by, but she said, by the time your child is a teenager, you're done parenting. And I was like, like what? And she was like, you're, you're done. Like your child, that upper part of their brain is, is already starting to form. You have laid foundation, but, but they are on, they're in there. Like, this is their game. They're going to play. They will follow the rules. You need to create boundaries, but you are not laying that foundation anymore. At this point, when you have a teenager, 
your only, your only is connection. You're going to have to attach. They're going to have to trust you. And that's the only way you're going to impact change outside of the things you can enforce, which a lot of Mm. parents do. Right. And so we talk a lot about with discipline, connection versus correction. You want to connect with your kid, not correct them. Right. Like, and so I think the power posturing that happens, like Mm. in those relationships can make it worse. And so hear your Mm. kid their level like you tell me about you I'm not the expert on you you're the expert on you you know what's going on inside your head more than I do and a lot of parents are like I know my child I know they're not this they are that and I'm like they're a teenager now they got that part of their brain online and they're going to start developing who they are and so again like being open to getting to know them in a different way because they're they're starting to form into someone else and pay pay attention to your reaction so not in a morbid way but think to yourself if your kid came to you and said I have suicidal thoughts. And if your first impulse is why would you, why what's like, like that as a, if your first reaction isn't like, Oh my gosh, I'm so, I, I, I hurt for you in this. What let's sit with this. Like that means you need to do your own work as a leader, as a parent to go, what, what, what just triggered in my mind when my kid comes to me and goes, I'm anxious or I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. And I immediately go, what? Why? Yeah. Why would you think that you have a great life at whatever, instead of, oh, oh my, God, my heart breaks. Let me sit with you in this right. because a parental reaction is huge yeah. is in that moment, your kid will go, you're safe or you're not safe. And that's what a lot of my teens tell me, like with their suicidal thoughts or their self-harm, they they're like, well, I didn't tell anything or I didn't tell anyone because I thought they'd be mad at me. Or I thought I'd be a burden. My mom, my mom can't handle it. Like she panics every time I skin my knee. So if I told her I was having suicidal thoughts, she would, she'd just lose it. And like, you have to watch yourself. You can't overreact when a child comes to you and shares something you, they need you to hold space for that because it was already scary enough to get to you with that feeling. Right. And so, so hold it down to say, thank you for sharing that with me. We're going to figure that out together. Right? I want to help you. I want to be here for you. And so that, that is, that's a big one because parents are so caught off guard with it. And um, yeah, it's, it can be a lot. So. Thank you guys so much. So much information that's helpful uh, for everybody. I, I feel like I just learned a ton myself. I'm just like, <laughs> wheels are turning. Um, so, yeah, thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, for everybody that's listened, we hope that you found this conversation that we just had um, helpful. And um, I would encourage you to probably listen to this again <laughs> more than once. Uh, yeah. How's you, Jordan? And so, yeah, um, I'm hopeful that uh, during this holiday season, Thanksgiving leading into Christmas, we can start to have those conversations, start to begin forming those attachments and connections if we haven't already and uh, go on from there to find some health in ourselves and health in our family. So um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being a part. We'll talk to everybody that is listening soon. Peace out. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye.